and welcome to Actually Best Choice Movies, the world's only movie podcast. I am one of your hosts. My name is Chris Chafin. Good evening. Good evening, or if you're listening this at noon, good noon to you. Uh, I'm Caleb Shively, other host. Look, no. <laughs> if you're listening to this at noon, turn it off and turn it back on in the evening. <laughs> you are not allowed to listen to it right now. Where my noon head's at. <laughs> no. Get out of here. Get out. Uh, so every week on Actually Best Choice Movies, we talk to you about two films. One of them is old, one of them is newer, and they're connected in some way, like f- like family or romantic partners. Family uh, is very uh, connected, uh, that's true. Sometimes uh, Siamese twins, uh, super connected. That's very wise, Caleb. And honestly, we, there's too much Siamese twins erasure going on right now, so I'm glad to true. hear you bring it back up. Yeah, that's true. With technology. Uh, so this week we're... Uh, because of technology, yeah, exactly. No, I just meant like in the discourse. But like, yeah, you're right. There is literal Siamese twin erasure, and that's also not good. You didn't want to touch that one? You didn't want to <laughs> add any more to that? I, I think we can move on from it. <laughs> uh, so this week on the show, we're talking to you about two films. They're both uh, the premier non-native language films from a pair of directors. It's uh, 2020's The Truth, directed by Koreeda, a Japanese director, who is very amazing that we'll talk about in depth. And then 2015's The Lobster, directed by another director we love, Yorgos Lanthimos, a Greek director. And this is his first, this in this case, English. Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to talk about. Um, I hope. <laughs> That's all this week on Actually Best Choice Movies. Uh, but before we get to any of that, we just wanted to take a step back and do something blindingly obvious that just occurred to us. And by us, I mean Caleb, who is much smarter than me, which is that so these are both the first English language mo- or the first non-native language movies of these uh, directors. So we're just going to talk a little bit about this phenomenon, right? People, directors who come up in a certain part of the world and leave for you know, usually Hollywood and other times, you know, maybe just a slightly bigger country, uh, but basically generally the global cinema yeah. system, you know, this. Yeah. Uh, and it's uh, like looking at uh, doing the research to this, it's a lot more of recent directors, which, you know, as uh, technology advances and uh, distribution becomes easier uh, and word of mouth and uh, more theaters exist. Of course, uh, we hear about more directors thanks to the internet. Uh, but yeah, even like, uh, looking back on like old directors, uh, like seeing their chance in Hollywood, like uh, I had no idea some things existed. Like um, Jean Luc Godard did a version of King Lear in 1987. Yes. I had no idea that existed. And it has Molly Ringwald in it and Woody Allen acts in it. Uh, well, I wouldn't insane. put that in the same category. I wouldn't I put know, that in the same like, category as these movies. But it's still like a, a famous uh, international director <laughs> coming over to. Here yeah, Hollywood, yeah. I mean, I guess you're that is true, but it's it's for that, it's because he had already had his whole career, yeah, his yeah, career yeah. was like over basically. But for more uh, contemporary, was, uh, one I think the a great example is Snowpiercer from Bong Joon Ho, which was uh like a couple years ago. And Bong, of course, uh, won an Oscar last year with uh, a movie in his native Korean language, but he made an American language movie that was fucking badass and is now a TNT show, Snowpiercer. 
Oh yeah, terrible, terrible, terrible. Um, I mean, I haven't actually seen it, but it seems like it would be awful. I mean, Snowpiercer is fine as a movie, but I mean, part of the appeal of Snowpiercer is the fact that it this you know the backstory of it. This like you couldn't get it to screen, and it's he had to you know it doesn't it got the bunch of the budget taken away. So some of the effects are crazily bad, but it's like it, it's supposed to be like a testament to his resolve that he even finished the movie in spite of all the obstacles. Um, so to adapt it into a TNT show seems ridiculous to me. <laughs> I, am I think especially because the main character is a cop now, I think. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, David Diggs is in it. And uh, recently I've become a Han- Hamilton convert. So I'm a big. Oh, Diggs yeah. Diggs yeah. Fan. I have heard you speak. Please, Caleb. I mean, not to get into <laughs> it, but you you have become a, a convert to Hamilton, which I still have not seen. Oh, um, it's uh, it's it's, it's very important. Yes. Uh, it. I was just, you know, the hype is all there, but it is like a original piece of art that I couldn't believe like actually gets works when I watched it. I was like, this is amazing. This is a thing that in all a historical rapping uh, musical and it, and it works and it's insane how much it works. <laughs> That's all. We don't have to talk about it. Well, I mean, so to just back up a step, like sure. the idea of Hollywood slash global cinema, like luring people out of uh, somewhere else or because, or being a refuge for directors maybe who are, you know, facing you know physical danger in the place where they actually live. It's a very, very old phenomenon. It goes way, way sure. back to the very beginnings of Hollywood. You know, there's people like Fritz Lang, Billy Wilder, and Douglas Sirk all, like, fled the Nazis, basically, and ended up making films in, in America. So obviously there's a lot of examples. It goes on a, a long way, but it's it's kind of like the idea is... You know, you've sort of proved yourself by making these great, interesting movies in the place where you're from. Like, everyone loves them, and it's like, okay, now come to Hollywood. We're going to give you a gigantic sack of money. You can work with a bunch of really famous movie stars, and uh, you get to, you know, make a movie. But I think the trade-off is you usually don't get as... You usually, let's say, don't get as much say over the movie yeah. because there's so many producers and, you know, there's so many money people that, like, you have to make a lot of compromises. And I will say, I think I think the two movies that we're going to talk about today really don't fall into that trap they're both like extremely idiosyncratic yeah, they're both independently you, produced too yeah yeah uh yeah yeah so it's a little different than like you know it, you know Hollywood it almost game, yeah. the, it almost used to be like you you know get how nowadays you get to make a superhero movie after you make an indie movie it was kind of like that it was like come to america be a big hollywood person and you can make a big hollywood movie yeah i would like to see uh foreign directors have cracks at big budget marvel movies that'd be fucking wild for me to watch. I mean, definitely <laughs> should. Well, I mean, we have. That did happen, as a matter of fact. Taika Waititi. Oh, yeah, I guess Taika Waititi made a bunch of... Director, yeah. Well, it's an English native language, but still, yeah. Yeah, right, right. He made, only made like independent movies in New Zealand, and then eventually they gave him a Marvel movie to do, and now he's like super, super famous. And the Oscar goes to... Taika Waititi. And he makes, you know, The Mandalorian, and he was in the cast of The Mandalorian, and now he's making uh, his own Star Wars movie. I mean, it's crazy, right? It's very, very, very wild and weird. Uh, But there's, like, a bunch of, like, great success stories of, like, independent uh, filmmakers who still make independent movies, but, like, uh, international directors who just came over and, like, you know, created their niche and created their brand. Uh, I'm thinking of like Ang Lee, uh, who's a successful director, won an Oscar. Uh, I think he uh, studied here in the States, though, if I'm not mistaken. I, think, I believe he was an NYU grad. Uh, but uh, even uh, Paul Verhoeven is a great example. Like he had a bunch <laughs> of like, was it 
big Dutch director for like 10, 20 years. Uh, I, I forget his movie before RoboCop, but he had one before RoboCop. And then he had this crazy run of uh, RoboCop, Total Recall, Basic Instinct, three in a row like that. And then just like basically, oh, then, then did Showgirls and, and Starship Troopers. Hmm. That's five crazy movies in a row right there. And then disappeared right back into his uh, home country to make um, still amazing movies like Black Book was a, a recent one I liked. Uh, but yeah, uh, he's a guy who took the money and ran and... <laughs> I mean, those are interesting ones to bring up. I mean, Ang Lee is an especially interesting one because he he exploded into Hollywood and into American consciousness with like such force with like C- C- Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, right? Mm-hmm. Like, which was not a Hollywood movie, but Even it was like that, uh, like Sense and Sensibility and uh, the Ice yeah, Storm. okay, yeah, 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 that's true. But he he has not. Ma- I would say he has not made a good movie in a long time. But he still has a lot of goodwill. People seem to love him. Yeah, he gets he keeps getting to make these huge movies. But I wouldn't. I couldn't even tell you the last time he made a good movie. Uh, I I, I liked uh, the Tiger Tiger Boat movie, which I can't think of. The oh name yeah, but you won an Oscar for. Uh, oh God, I really I actually don't remember the name of that movie <laughs> either. My mom was always talking to me about that book. She really really loved it. I typed in Angley Tiger Boat. That's exactly what I'm doing. Life of Pi. <laughs> Life of Pi. Yes, exactly. Life of Pi. Um, Which is a even like, like John Woo is another yeah, good John example. Woo is a, of like yeah. An Asian, yeah. yeah. Asian directors in Got general. to make Face Off. And yeah. like, didn't he get to make a, a Mission Impossible yeah, movie? Yeah, he did. Mission Impossible 2 is John Woo. He, uh, the thing I love about John Woo, as somebody who grew up watching John Woo movies, I love The Killer. I think that's like one of, that was like one of my early like good movie experiences was The Killer. Sure. I think that's a fantastic, fantastic movie. John uh, John Woo only has like three ideas and he just repeats them, not only within the movie, but like movie to movie. I, I mean, when I was like, a uh, you know, if anybody made it. I mean, yeah, no, they are. They are definitely. But like, you know. Somebody spins around in slow motion and a bunch yeah. of birds fly up behind them and then they have two guns and they shoot the two guns. Like, that's it. That's that's John Woo. He does that in every single thing that he does. Uh, yeah, I like Hard Boiled a lot, which I think is still... Yeah, that was still a... Oh, yeah, that's actually what I meant to be saying. Uh, Hard Boiled. Yeah. The Killer is a different movie, right? Uh, or no, is that also a John Woo uh, movie? It is a John Woo movie, yeah. Uh, yeah I think no, both, Hard I think Boiled both, is my favorite. Uh, Chow Yun-Fat, Hard Boiled. who had a moment, like a, a very tiny moment in American film, Uh that was like yeah, he definitely he's great. Yeah, I love Chow Yun Fat. You know, hard boiled. Was he in a movie with DMX? Maybe. Yeah, I think that sounds oddly familiar, but I'm not going to remember the name of it. Uh, there is, uh, in as international film, maybe it has something to do with how close uh, this country is to Hollywood. Uh, but uh, the the recent uh, surge of the great Mexican directors and those three have built uh, not only just a very strong brand for themselves, but like have just taken over Oscars of recent times. I'm talking about. Uh, Del Toro, uh, Alfonso Cuaron, uh, Alejandro Gonzalez and Naratu. Uh, mm-hmm. Those are uh, true. international directors who've just redefined Hollywood too. And uh, probably the, the, if not the most, they're still working within and make very English language movies too. Uh, yeah. I, I think maybe they're the template if anything. Uh, it's You're totally right. Yeah. I definitely agree. That is really true. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I would like to give a special shout out to uh, all the one there's a, so many lists of like, like I mentioned, John Luke Godard came and bombed kind of here in the States. Uh, Truffaut did as well. Uh, he made Fahrenheit 451. Uh, but a fun oh, example God. that I like, uh, I, I completely forgot about is after uh, Jean-Pierre Jeannot made uh, Amelie, which played very well here in the States. Uh, it's a great movie. Amelie's amazing. Uh, he got to make Alien Resurrection. <laughs> oh my God. That's That's the Winona that Ryder total, one. That sucks. <laughs> Although, is that one of those movies that people think is good now? Uh, I watched it kind of recently when I was rewatching The Aliens. It, it's 
No, I don't know. It's not good, but maybe people think it's good. There's a scene where she plays basketball. That's hilarious. Well, you know, we were just talking about this phenomenon uh, as we're wrapping up people that made terrible Hollywood bombs. It's actually on a very early episode of this show. We talked about um, the German director, Florian Henkel von Donnersmark, oh, yeah. <laughs> who made The Lives of Others, a very, very popular indie movie from the early 2000s, mid 2000s. And uh, so he got to make a big Hollywood movie, which was The Tourist. <laughs> Starring Johnny Depp and Angelina Jolie, one of the like most widely panned films yeah. of all time. Uh, it's like an absolute disaster. Also, let me correct myself. Amelie came out after Alien Resurrection. Uh, he did Delicatessen before. Ah, okay. Yeah. Also, he redeemed himself then, definitely, redeem right? Him. I mean, <laughs> you know. So let's do it, huh? Let's kick it into, into high it. gear, brother. Let's get into it, brother. Uh, the first movie this week is 2020's The Truth. I don't remember. You were just a baby. And you, Daddy? No, I've never been here before. The house looks like a castle. It does. Yes, even though there's a prison just behind it. Japan's Hirokazu Koreeda has built something of a cult following. Uh, this can explain how his new movie, and his first in his non-native language, landed the legendary actors Catherine Deneuve and Juliette Binoche in their first on-screen pairing, uh, Koreda excels in the gentle and kind of borderline sappy. His movies, which he also writes and edits, concentrate on emotional residence within neorealism, and they often depict families, specifically that amongst a parent and child relationship. And that is the case in his new film, The Truth, with Deneuve and Binoche playing the mother-daughter coming to terms with defining their relationship. The setting for the two's dynamic is the French film industry, with Deneuve's aging French movie star character uh, recently having released her memoir, which is also titled The Truth. Uh, it's also the reason why her daughter is in town. Her daughter is accompanied by uh, her family, uh, Ethan Hawke and a lovable child. Uh, Deneuve's character, Fabian, is also starring in a sci-fi movie titled Memories of My Mother. And if that isn't nail on the head enough for you, then the off-screen presence of a departed movie star slash colleague slash surrogate mother figure, slash co-star allegory that fills in all remaining gaps uh, for this relationship. Though I would say I'm a huge Koreeda fan, his first non-Japanese movie had me paying closer attention to the director's form and craft and his inherent talent, things that he has honed over his nearly 30-year career, uh, rather than the actual story presented on screen. Uh, and that's about as harsh as a criticism I can give. <laughs> Chris, <laughs> please share your thoughts. Oh, well, you know, uh, I think that The Truth, which is a new movie, it's on Amazon. It it's uh, it, it says on the sticker it's $5.99, but when I rented it, it was $3.99. So I don't know what's going oh, on there. Nice. But like, yeah, that happened to me for some reason. Um, <laughs> it's It has a lot of what I like about Koreeda movies. I mean, like you said, Shoplifters from last year. It's one of my favorite movies from last year. I mean, not to it's reductionist to compare Asian cinema just because it's Asian cinema. But I always thought that Shoplifters should have gotten some of the shine that uh, Parasite got. I mean, I thought it was kind of a more complex movie and a little bit more identifiable from the, a human uh, point of view. Yeah, it got an Oscar I mean, it won the Palm d'Or. Yeah, it, it won, won the Palm d'Or. Yeah. And and it got an Oscar nomination, like you said, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. You know, in the discourse, in the discourse, Caleb, like it was all about Parasite. Mm-hmm. Nobody gave a shit about uh, shoplifters. So what I like, it has very, very naturalistic acting by all the main characters. You know, Ethan Hawke, Catherine Deneuve, 
and uh, Julia Binoche and like you said, the child who is fantastic. They're all just, they all just seem so real and you know, it's great to watch them just exist around each other. And, and I think that's something that I, I really loved about shoplifters was that same kind of thing. Um, you know, but, but I wouldn't say that it was like, I didn't like it as much as shoplifters. I mean, I really enjoy, I really enjoyed the first half of the movie. I thought it started meandering a little bit in the second half of the movie. It's maybe like a little too long. Um, I, I, I also thought it was strange. I mean, I, I haven't seen all of Coretta's movies, but in a certain sense, it was like, like, I kind of, like, I don't care about the problems of these rich people. Like, you know what I mean? They all seemed like so rich and so successful. And I was like, I don't know, like, fuck these people. Like, they're miserable, like, good, you know? like. Yeah, I would say this is his uh, richest uh, protagonist, uh, protagonist characters. Uh, he usually uh, deals with in small Japanese villages, especially coming off of uh, shoplifters, which they were homeless people. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly, right? But yeah, it's... Uh, um, it was, so, go ahead, go ahead, sorry. Oh, no, like you're saying, Catherine Deneuve is this, like, super famous movie star, and it's like she's writing this book, and there's, like, they've already sold 100,000 copies of the book. And Ethan Hawke is like, we're, sp- we're supposed to think Ethan Hawke is like not good because he's the star of like a cable TV yeah. show. Like they're talking about him getting shot and whether or not he's going to come back next season. So I don't know, maybe like a Sons of Anarchy type show, like something like that, you know? Um, and it's like, oh, Catherine Deneuve keeps saying like, oh, you told me to watch it on YouTube. Um, <laughs> so I watched it on YouTube. They're like he's in an internet show. And it's like, oh, mom. Um like, but it's like that's still like fabulously more successful than I or anyone I know will ever be in our lives, you know, like more or less, you know, like, um, and it's, everyone else is operating on this. Like, she's she, um, Julia Pinoche, the daughter's character is like a screenwriter, and where it's, it's like supposed to be a rebellion against her mom, who's an actress. It's like, even though really she would have wanted to be an actress, she she chose not to do it despite her mother, and she's become a screenwriter. And it's, and we're supposed to just think she's just like a normal person, and you know, like, but it's like, well, you see, you write movies for a living. Like, I don't know. That's, that's pretty cool. You know, like that's, uh, that seems pretty good. You know, I, I don't know. I had a hard time. I, 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 in a way, I mean, I know I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but like I had a, an easier time identifying with the like alienating sci-fi universe of the lobster mm, than I did with like this oh, universe. I meant with the, with the film within the film, the sci-fi film that is in this movie. Oh, no, no, no. Did you have any feelings about this? Oh, I had a ton a ton of feelings about this movie. Uh, huge creative fan. I would say I saw 90% of his movies. I haven't seen his documentaries. Uh, I, I, I'd say he's like one of my top favorite two or three directors. I, I, I love him. Uh, so he's more about uh, mood and atmosphere rather than narrative in general. His plots are deceptively thin, uh, and it's... Yes, this is the cliche saying. It's way more about the journey. Like, uh, he's a radical director in the sense that he's not radical at all. Uh, even in his like more out there filmography. Wait, say more about that. Like, what? What do you mean by that? Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> uh, even in his more like out there films, uh, like nobody knows. Uh, he just follows the pattern where just nothing really happens at all. Like nobody knows his uh, tale of kids. Their mother abandons them. And he just follows that through line, the whole thing. I think that's his best movie. Uh, Air Doll has an insane plot. It's a sex doll that comes to life. Uh, but that just follows like almost like a very beat-by-beat beat rom-com. But he just takes so much time and puts so much filmmaking into it. Um, another one of my favorite films that he did is uh, just uh, it's about people looking at their own memories. 
but the twist is that there it's even it's even as a twist it's the plot really is that it, they're dead people and it's the afterlife and they're the afterlife in this thing is you in this world is you choose your memory and that's the your whole life now is the memory so it's just them watching memories and picking a memory it's wonderfully tedious it's so good i mean what uh, did you think what did you think about the fact that he you know he's basically working within the genre of like modern french comedy drama you uh, know like like why why do you think he did that and how did you feel about that i don't know i think he just well it was specifically uh, as he always talks about he picks uh characters to work with uh and like i said he went picked with uh, two great French actresses. Maybe that's why he probably did French. And he is also kind of a funny director, but he has a lot of uh, parent relationship movies on his. Uh, I mean, that's uh, true. Um, uh, like father, like son. But do you know what I mean? Not not just like that, but it's like it's 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 all the conventions of a modern kind of like cool French drama. Like I don't have like a, a good example to give you. I mean, the example I keep thinking of is Cachet, which I know is a, by a German that's, director. Nothing like Cachet. Cachet's kind yeah, of like. Um, yeah. But you know what I mean? There's this kind of like modern French cinema that this is, like is very Sias firmly. Movies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it's just like very much like it's it's like working within that those I think he's genre. Working, I don't know if he is. Uh, he just uses it as coloring for the relationship. Uh, like even like the Ethan Hawke character, he's just a goofy dad. He's more scenery and like coloring for the scenes, like. She's there for something to for the lead actress Catherine Deneuve to attack, uh, and more of a point for contention for their relationship. I mean, speaking of Ethan Hawke, I loved him in this movie. I actually like you know I'm a new dad. I I I was like I would love to be at this dad when I his daughter is like ten maybe or eight or something. I did at the end of the movie turn to Catherine and say like Am I going to be like that when I'm old? I really want to. He's I thought actually he was being kind of like his character from Juliet Naked, but like a positive version of that person, sure. but. It, that's rapidly be i mean i know i said this the other week about uh, elizabeth moss but like this is becoming his thing now too is he plays kind of like creative guys who like aren't that successful but are like kind of successful and like you know have kind of a you know a, a fatalistic approach to their work like they're just kind of doing what they're doing you know and they don't think it's that good like i i think that's kind of a new specialty of him i think he's really good at it and i would love to see some more of it you know uh i I'm trying to think how that applies to first reformed which i think well, that's what okay I, it's not exclusively what he's doing i mean he obviously is able to do other stuff but i'm saying he's done two very similar performances in movies within the last like yeah, two say years that comes off of the before the, the final of the before trilogy uh after midnight after sunset i forget what that's the last yeah, of the i think before, after sunset yeah. maybe i think it's still before because they're all called before something before oh, okay midnight, yeah before midnight, i think it's called well, anyway, I'm just saying I liked it, and you know he's also a you know a Brooklyn dad. A Brooklyn I, dad. I saw him at the Lobster Pound one day. He was a great guy. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I used to have like two different friends that lived near him that were always telling me like weird gossip about seeing him around the neighborhood, and it was it was always nothing. It was like if it was any other person, you wouldn't even remember it. It was just like oh, he was standing in front of the brownstone waiting for his wife to come out. And I was like, okay, is that like a story really? Or, you know, but they like had a lot of like emotional things they had read into it from the way he was standing. And I was like, well, maybe, I don't know. You know, I think we're getting a little bit off subject here because uh, he is good in this movie, but like he get, I think he's more setting because it really is. And like you said, it's, it is, this has this French comedy feel, but I think the reason he did that is so he could work with these two actresses 
which is really the bulk of the story, especially uh, the Fabian Dangeville character, which is uh, an amazing performance by Catherine Deneuve. Uh, like, she's an actress in this movie who's aware that she's acting, uh, and that comes and that is only because she comes with all these years of being such a legendary performer. Uh, like, I would say she is a monument to her own greatness in that way. Um, and then that makes elevates the when she gets to play the meta filmmaking scenes of the sci-fi movie uh that really gets to show the essence of a character who probably is very much like her real life uh, a person who saves those real feelings and vulnerability for her work uh and that really just sets the stage for this really strained and kind of horrible relationship between uh fabian and her daughter because uh, Fabian, uh, it, it, whether on set or uh, in real life, she is a person taking dominion. Uh, she throws her weight around on set. She criticizes others. Uh, she calls the other actress petty. Uh, there's a lot of personal turmoil there uh, that the daughter unpacks, Julia Pinochet's character unpacks. And in real life, uh, uh, Fabian has built up this image. She's a successful movie star. She gets recognized at places. Uh, and she's now protecting this image of herself. Uh, and she protects it so much that she's protecting it even from her her daughter. And when these two get together, that's when this movie uh, really starts to really turn into something special. Uh, yeah, it is. Most of the movie is these two working off each other. Uh, I mean, right? That's like, what the movie's about. Things. I was going to say yeah. we we kind of didn't. I mean, the plot, quote unquote, is about the two of them. You know, they're very prickly people, and they're not estranged exactly, but they we are given to think they haven't seen her since like for like seven or eight years or something. Uh, and it's just about the two of them like reconciling. Basically, the 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 plot is emotional, and it's about the two of them going from you know hating hating and picking at each other to like finding some way to to work together. And that's that's mm-hmm. basically you know you know the and the through the circumstances of them being at her castle like French mansion and her helping uh, Juliette Binoche's character helping Catherine Deneuve like get ready for this movie and act in the movie and there's also this whole weird plot of having to do with this like they just keep calling her Sarah it's like another famous actress who we're given to think yeah. died in some way like committed suicide like we, I, they never say uh, I think it's hinted at suicide. They never exactly say the relationship between her and Catherine Deneuve. Like, yeah, friends, she was a rival actress who helped raise her daughter. Is the most I got out of that. Uh, yeah, and well, because at first you think maybe it's like Catherine Deneuve's sister or Charlotte or you know Julia Binoche's yeah. sister, and it's like no, and then eventually you figure out like no, it's just like a friend of theirs. Yeah, you know, it's someone who died young and was a successful actress that like she's reviled as a screen legend in France. Uh, I mean, I think so you mean to say rever- revered as a reviled. screen legend. Yeah, revered. There it is. Thanks. Yeah, reviled um, is the opposite one. <laughs> um, but uh, the Kareda house style that he does is uh, details a crew like like that. Like information comes and you just builds and builds, and moments like big moments happen quietly. Uh, and his writing is reflected in that filmmaking too, like a tinkling light score, uh, a lot of just uh, wide shots. I love that he always does wide shots too because it always makes his movies timeless. Like you can't tell. It's just detail clutter in the scenes. Uh, But anyway, this all builds to like a lot of just charged moments for when, like not when things happen, but you could tell when a moment is about to happen or should happen. And he just excels in building those. Uh, 
And I think there's an, and this movie is like that until maybe I would say 90% of it's over. And then they start to actually uh, reconcile with each other uh, in a really fun scene yeah. where she like Fabian like storms art out in her car uh, out to her driver uh, off, off, off the film set uh, and tells him to go pick up uh, a crepe. And then her daughter comes and gets her. She's like, I can't act. Uh, her mother is says so Fabian, uh, the Catherine Wolf character says so many awful things in this movie. It's like I, I laughed because I because I, I think it's supposed to be funny, but it's horrible things she says. Like uh, she says she's okay with being a bad mother since she was such a great actor. Therefore, the public. Well, forgets- this is the thing. I mean, this is the thing. Like, yeah, sorry to interrupt. You're going to say the go public ahead, ahead. forgets her, right? Um, but like this, this is also one of the th- the things the movie is about. Is like Catherine Deneuve's idea is like. I'm an artist and I only exist to make art and I'm sorry that my life is such a disaster and you're sad and, you know, people are mad at me, but like, you know, I made good art and that's all that matters, mm-hmm. which I, I thought was interesting. You know, it's not an argument she, you she, see like all that often these days. She also says, I don't have to do charity work. Uh, that's reality. And that's for actors who are too old. <laughs> and not That was really interesting. Actually, I thought that was a really interesting thing to say. Like, it was terrible, say, yeah. but I kind of got it. She was saying like, an actor's job is not to be in reality. Like an actor's job is to do, to create and make believe and, you know, yeah. make, make an escapist reality for people. And once actors start uh, engaging in reality, it means they've failed. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's so fucked up. But it's like, I kind of get, yeah. get it. I kind of get it. She is the type of person. Uh, and this, I think is the plot of the movie when it pre- does present itself is she needs to be manipulated to feel things. Uh, AKA you need to reach her level to interact with her. And I think when her daughter finally does, like she calls her a wimp, they do like fight a lot of this movie, but she really just picks a, a vulnerable time in, uh, in her mother's life to really criticize her. And that's when they start <laughs> actually uh, reconciling. Yes. And I mean, it's interesting to watch and it's also like, you know, there's all ancillary characters. Like I said, there's Ethan Hawke. There's the daughter who's like amazing mm-hmm. an amazing, cute character. Butler, and actually yeah. this is something funny. Um, we were talking about being drawn from around the world to Hollywood, like textually that is discussed in this movie where there's a moment where there's a girl, the age of the daughter who's appearing in the movie with Catherine Deneuve. And there's a moment where the two of them are sort of backstage together, you know, offset or whatever. And the, um, actress girl is being a little bit like haughty and acting like kind of full of herself and the daughter says like oh i'm also an actress and she's like and the actress says oh really and she's like yes in hollywood in Hollywood. and the actress and the actress girl is like obviously jealous and feels bad about herself <laughs> it's like yeah it's a thing you know like that's and it's in the movie with children and it totally makes sense when they do it too uh i would like to note since we're talking about the film within the film called memories of my mother uh I thought that was a little on the nose, but when I actually looked it up, it's a, a real Ken Liu short story. Uh, and if you want to know the plot, the plot is basically Inception. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> well, it's uh, the mom has to freeze herself and can only visit every set and goes into space. So she doesn't age uh, in space. How do you think this is like Inception? <laughs> because like- Matthew McConaughey comes back and visits his old daughter. And that's what this movie, this plot of this movie is, is that. Uh, he she comes back and visits her old daughter. Right. Okay. No, you're thinking of not Inception. That's you're Inception. thinking of Interstellar. Oh, Interstellar. Yeah. Interstellar. They both start with I N, and they're both Nolan movies. 
<laughs> and also it's slightly different because it's not like it's it's more I mean, regular, it's which I think is interesting. The because yeah, pl- the idea is it's like it's almost like this is just a thing you can do. Like instead of going to the hospital, they send you into space, and, and in space you don't age. And so then every seven years, for some reason, you're able to come back and visit your family. But like your family has aged, you know, seven years, and you haven't aged at all, right? So that's what the plot of it is, yeah, which I thought was interesting. You know? Without the actual mechanics, which is way better than Interstellar. Right. I mean, I would say on the whole, I, I liked it and I enjoyed seeing it. And I, I honestly like really loved the first hour or so of the movie. I thought it kind of lost its way in the second hour a little bit and just kind of became a little more meandering. But uh, um, like, like I said, it's uh, very Coretta. Uh, it reminded me a lot of his like father, like son or after the storm, uh, which is later Coretta. It was his like 2010s output. I could go more into him. I like his earlier films better, but he does, you know, Shoplifters was his breakthrough. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of Shoplifters if we're talking about Shoplifters. Uh, I love it. I think it's a great movie. Everyone should go watch it. But uh, it's so popular because he actually put a twist into it, which is nothing like his other movies. <laughs> um, and that's why it works so well. It's a fucking wonderfully written twist. And I do love it more than most of the other movies, but I wouldn't even put it... I wouldn't even put this one or Shoplifters in my top five favorite Hirokazu Kurek films. Interesting, interesting. Would you like to move on to the next film? Uh, The Lobster. Go ahead, yeah. I'll move. I'm taking that as a yes, yeah. <laughs> Have you ever been on your own before? No, never. Your last relationship lasted how many years? Around 12. Sexual preference? Women. Is there a bisexual option available? No, sir, this option is no longer available. The dog? My brother, he was here a couple of years ago, but he didn't make it. Did you read the leaflet? Yes, I did. As you understand from your brother's experience, if you fail to fall in love with someone during your stay here, you'll turn into an animal. The Lobster is the 2015 film from Greek director Yorgos Lanthimos. Uh, it stars Colin Farrell and Rachel Weisz and many people who were, you know, kind of famous at the time. And I would say have gone on to become more famous. I mean, Olivia Coleman being number one, thanks to a later Yorgos film, right? Um, it's the it's a sort of sci-fi allegorical you know, almost like New Yorker short story kind of universe where uh, the main character played by Colin Farrell goes to a hotel where he's supposed to either find a romantic partner for life or be turned into an animal of his choice. And we're given to understand that is how the entire world works. So almost exactly the first half of the movie is taken up with him at this uh, resort doing these very kind of like childish slash borderline autistic or something ways of like interacting with people where you're just extremely direct. You have no affect to anything you say and everyone just says everything they're thinking all the time by the way yeah john c Riley and ben uh Whitshaw are also in this place they're his friends there fantastic and then the second half is him where he escapes into the woods uh to be with people who are the loners this is the people who don't conform to this society but are equally terrible in different ways and it's there that he meets rachel weiss who is he unfortunately falls in love with in a time when you're not allowed to fall in love with someone 
Uh, it's a it's a very interesting movie. You know, if 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 you weren't familiar with Yorgos before this, which a lot of people weren't, it got it got this reputation as like you know what an out there weird movie. Uh, it won the Palm Door and the Jury Prize at Cannes, in addition to the Palm Dog Award, because there is a very important dog in this movie. And uh, it was nominated for Best Original Screenplay, did not win, but it, it was like a big it was a big deal movie in a certain way. And I would say it began the uh, Colin Farrell Renaissance that we had that continued with True Detective. This was kind of like the first time you saw him do something interesting and outside himself. Uh, I loved this movie. You know, in a lot of ways, it's a really harsh movie to watch. It's very violent and sexual and graphic and cruel in a lot of ways. Um, but there's something about it that is draws you through the movie and is and is compelling to, to watch even when you would rather turn away. Uh, yeah, I, I like this movie a lot. Uh, Caleb, what, what do you think? Uh, it is absolutely an achievement in writing. Uh, it expands the notion of deadpan, of a deadpan comedy. Uh, deadpan is usually associated with uh, line delivery, uh, but I hear deadpan applies to physicality uh, and to the violence. He has deadpan violence in this movie. Uh, and also the uh, relationships are very much deadpan. Like, th- of course, there is that obvious delivery, line delivery, and dialogue, uh, but the way he just expands that out into the entire setting is uh, through writing because he's such a good writing. Uh, like you mentioned, it's a, a half and a half movie, a tale of two halves a movie. Um, yeah. The first half works as a parody of real life, like first date, small talk, relationship advice. And it's very, very funny. It's also very grotesque and there's some fucked up stuff that happens. Yeah. it's. I mean, the first scene so is funny. someone, we, we, we open the movie with a woman just driving in a car by herself and then she stops in the middle of in the middle of a field and gets out and shoots a horse in the head. And then it like title card, you know, that's the beginning of the movie. Uh, I think it was a donkey, uh, which I that, I couldn't tell if it was a small horse or a donkey. It was good acting by that animal because it flipped up. I don't, I hope they didn't actually harm to it because it looked very realistic. I really doubt. But I was actually thinking about that watching it because she holds the gun, at, shoots it, and then the donkey or small horse just falls right over. And I was like, you know, honestly, how the fuck did they do that? How did they get that animal to fall over exactly at the right moment? Good like, tracking. is this like a, like a comp? Is this like not really happening at the same time? It might be like, I don't know, like a, one of those frozen goat deals. You know what I mean? Like the, you know what I mean? <laughs> But it's like, I don't know, there's like a turn, it's terribly upsetting movie and it's terribly funny at the same time. And you get those like scenes like that back to back with each other, uh, even with uh, certain performances that all happens within. Uh, and that only happens through uh, an exceptional writer, which uh, Yorgos, uh, you said Oscar nominated, went on to yeah. uh, great success with The Favorite. We, do, I mean, we Dogtooth is one we of the great the movies yeah. of the last 10 years. Uh and at, at its heart, at its cold, dark heart, this is a mo- uh, a relationship story uh, about bureaucracy, <laughs> uh, and that's what more of the the second half is. Uh, which, yeah, uh, it's more of a fable of how strictly adhering to this autonomy or even to anything is its own form of conformity, uh, which is a very messy metaphor to track. But that's when you, I know, right? Lean on your actors. Uh, Farrell and Weiss carry the second half. Weiss is even in the first half of the movie. Because uh, it would be so easy for the movie to just be like, like you said, the first half is like a parody of society. It's like you have to find someone to be with. And if mm-hmm. you don't find someone, wouldn't it be terrible? And you you are just thinking like, 
no, it actually wouldn't be that terrible. It would be fine, you know? And But it's like, there's so much pressure on them to like couple up with someone. And it's so awkward the way they're trying to couple up with people. And it's this heightened, crazy universe. Like one of the first things that happens when they get to this hotel is they handcuff Colin Farrell to one hand to his belt. And they say like, we'll remove the handcuff in exactly 24 hours. It's to remind you how much easier life is when there's two of something and not just one. <laughs> and you're like, I actually have that in my notes too. I just like, that is a great bit of writing. Uh, not only that idea, but the actual uh, mechanism of the belt itself is like, he had to like think of this idea, put it into practice and like bring it into real life. Uh, there's a great and- scene because he, he ma- so his handcuff is handcuffed to his belt buckle and so he, at the end of the night, he's trying to get undressed and go to sleep. And we see him struggling and struggling and struggling to pull his pants off. And you to the point where you're like, just give up. Like, you cannot do it. And then the next scene is him in bed. And just at the bottom of the frame, you can see his entire outfit inside out on the handcuff, <laughs> which is like such a great touch. Yeah. I really loved it. There's so many like just tiny touches like that because you fill in your gaps with great writing. Uh like he's talking about why he chose a lobster and he lists all these like practical reasons about living longer. Uh, and then he goes, also I'm a good swimmer and I like water skiing ever since I was a kid. <laughs> and just yeah, like, it's so fucking weird. And that applies dude. to like him, the whole theme too of like, he's conforming to this idea of like what they need to do, but he still thinks he's special, which I was like, yeah. Yeah. Tracks well, so right. It would well. be so, it would be so easy for the movie to be just this, right? And then at the end, he escapes. But instead, it's like halfway through he escapes, and then it's a critique of like living your life the complete opposite way, <laughs> which is like, it's like a lot to bite off in mm-hmm. one movie. Um, but I do think that's one of the interesting things about this movie is it kind of takes what Yorgos was doing in his previous films to a new level. I think I, I like this movie because he's growing as a filmmaker because in Dogtooth and in Alps, it's easy to look at it and say like, Oh, what a kooky bunch of characters. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it's kind of limited to the, the people, but I, I, what I like about this movie is it, it expands it to just being like, this is actually what I think about the entire world. Like, I mean, obviously if you're an intelligent person, you understood the point he was making from his other movies, but you could ignore it. But in this one, it's like, no, no, it's about the whole world. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's almost like, like I said, a New Yorker short story, but I'm really thinking of like George Saunders, who I think is great at doing these kind sure, these sure. kinds of stories. Um, and it almost puts me in mind of, of one of those where it's like through the tiniest bits of like vaguely sci-fi tweaks, it exposes whole insane things about the way our, our universe works. I mean, that's what is the best kind oh, yeah. of science fiction, right? Yeah. Uh, almost like, a, a, a less technologically technology, technological black mirror episode, uh, that actually, yeah, kind of right. Yeah. Plays into like themes of, uh, love and loneliness, uh, in, you know, like like Black Mirror, like there's manufactured versions of things uh, and how that can corrupt life. Uh, and that's like the manufactured versions of love that these characters try to pursue, which are funny. <laughs> or or just even like the loneliness that like, they experience, like the true loneliness, uh, they're actually enjoying themselves at, to a degree at the beginning. And then when they actually have this forced upon, they're even more miserable. With fun yeah, like there's... While uh, Colin Farrell is at this hotel, which is, by the way, like a beautiful hotel, like on the seaside, but not like the like the beach you'd want to swim on. It's like on a cliff, kind of. Um, 
anytime you see him not with other people, he seems so at ease and happy. <laughs> like he's like playing with his dog or playing golf and he just looks like very relaxed and himself. And then he is being forced to be around other people and try to make relationships with them. And and it does it did make me think like Oh, like, is this me? Like, am I one of these people? Like, do I really want to be around other people? Maybe I'm just happiest, like, sitting in a room by myself, you know? Maybe I'm succumbing to all this societal pressure to be in relationships and have friends. And really, I would be equally happy, like, walking around a field by myself all day, you know? Mm -hmm. Which I think is a real achievement for a film to make you, like, deeply question every (laughs) decision you've made in your life. A film with so many weird scenes as this. and like I'm talking mostly about, I've been talking mostly about how good the writing is, but I think the acting all across the board is just aces, aces, so good. Uh, Rachel Weisz is one of our great actors, super underrated. She already, she won an Oscar in 2005, so everyone forgets about her. I don't know why that she's not a super superstar. She's amazing in this movie. I mean, she has to counter. She kind of like well, she's the narrator of the first half, and then this counterbalances uh, the schlubby uh, performance, which is great from. Uh, Colin Farrell, which I'm glad, really glad that he's turning into this actor. <laughs> I mean, it's more like he turned into this actor for a few years, and now he's back being a regular actor. I think. I think he's back. Yeah, hold on. Let's look up. Uh, I did have a chance to look him up. I I didn't know he was Artemis Fowl in the Artemis Fowl movie. I'm ignoring. Uh, Wait, there... is is that the new Disney Plus movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Chris, oh man, uh, which is directed by Kenneth Branagh. So if you want to work with Kenneth Branagh, sure. He was also in The That's Gentleman true. earlier this year, which, again, a, a Guy Ritchie movie I completely avoided, too. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I almost rented that, like, many times, and then I just always was like, oh, I'm sure I can find something better to watch. <laughs> uh, and before that, he was in 2019, he was uh, Dumbo, the Tim Burton movie, which, if you want to work with Tim oh, Burton, yeah. might as well. Uh, but before but, that, he know. was in some cool stuff, uh, Killing a Sacred Deer, The Beguiled with Sofia Coppola. Uh, Roman well, this Day, is what I'm saying. Israel. I think... He Widows, he was like great. a Hollywood it boy, and then he sort of petered out and made a, m- a million terrible movies. And then he made like several really really good projects where he did like really really great acting. But then he just cashed that in to be allowed to start being He's in bad movies again. Down, yeah, yeah. Just like looking through his thing. But uh, upcoming, if I could skip ahead to twenty twenty, it's not. Hey, long. wouldn't we all like to? Um, no. Looks like it's some crap Tate Taylor movie. Uh, but then he's going to be in uh, the future, the Batman. He's going to play the Penguin. I forgot about that. Oh, that's uh, cool. Yeah, which is exciting because it's uh, my man, Robert Pattinson. But also another exciting movie. Uh, he's going to be in the next film from Koganada, who did Columbus, which we've talked about on this. Uh, oh, yeah. So that's awesome that he's going to be in that. <laughs> which, which one of these movies is that? I'm also looking at the upcoming. So after Yang. Okay, interesting. I I had forgotten when I turned it on how violent and like a not just violent in the sense of like violence although there is shootings and stabbings and mutilations of all kinds but like it just kind of has a violent energy to it like it 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 it, it exists in a world of violence where yeah, at any point, second something nasty could yeah. happen to you like it's inherent within characters decisions uh I mean Ben Wishaw's character has a limp and uh, decides to constantly bang his head and hurt himself to pursue a relationship. Uh, there's a kicking of a dog, the palm dog winning 
uh, Bob uh, gets there's a, a dog murder in this movie. They I mean, and it's to say we don't see it, but it's described to us in detail, including someone doing an impression of the noise the dog makes, and it was a very good impression, you know. Uh, I thought uh, this actress was super funny in this movie, but she has a suicide lane. It's uh, Ashley Jensen, who's in tons of stuff. Uh, I liked her a lot in the Entourage, but she's in a ton of other stuff. Uh, Great British actress, Ashley Jensen. But she's super funny in this. She plays the butter biscuit lady. Um, oh, yes. She ends up... Uh, Wasn't she the original Pam on The Office? No, that was... Um, I forget that actress's name, but no. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. I always get them mixed up. Uh, but yeah, she has a scene where uh, she, at one t- turn, is talking about what floor to jump off of, which is ridiculous and it's also being narrated as she's talking which is fun writing right she's the yeah she's the the co-star in extras that's like yeah the extras yeah yeah Yeah. um and then she actually suicides and they actually see they actually show the blood laying on the ground she attempts to suicide but she only jumps she only did it from the uh, second floor floor she only did it from the second floor and she's not dead she's like yelling she's like but she can't move oh and this is what i mean too it's like it's violent in a way that's actually disturbing it's and they show you that for a while this woman uh, you know like i I would be remiss i would be caleb shiley if i didn't talk about john c Riley, who uh, i always say he's an actor who always gives you a surface level reading but then we'll completely underlie that sur- surface level reading that we all the audience gets with just a underlying sweetness. He's the sweetest actor. Uh, every character is like that. It's so good to play that such duality within a character. Um, like the great, there's a great example. Like he's a lisping, uh, just you know, a loser guy in this movie. Uh, and here's a scene where he has to admit to masturbating. Uh, they, they they use a toaster oven to threaten him. Yeah, they put a hand. They put his hand in the toaster for masturbating, it, and then they show it for a long time. It's very upsetting. Oh, 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 oh. yeah, it's so good. Um, he's such a pro at those vocal things, like screaming like that. It's because of Steve Brule. Uh, but the way he like uh, admits to it at first, he's denying it, and then he goes, "It was a picture of a naked woman on a horse in the countryside." Like, oh, it's so, like. And then I know it's like such a classy thing to be masturbating to. Yeah. <laughs> And then he also is like, oh, come on. It was just an accident. I got carried away. (laughs) Uh, He's also always physically fighting, like, in the dumbest ways. He has one of those in these movies, too. Oh, yeah, there's a great movie where there was a great moment when him and Ben Whitshaw and Colin Farrell all, like, fight each other on, like, a shooting range. It's it's like with open hands, and they're, like, not slapping. It's it's like like Step Brothers, basically. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's so dumb. Uh, And he, I, I don't know, he's... A great lead actor, and I fucking love Dewey Cox. I love fucking Step Brothers, but I mean, he's kind of at his best when he's uh, sec- bringing heat on those on these smaller roles. When uh, he's like a second banana, who's like p- pathetic. Or he just does that, really just, good at that. Just comes in and just yeah, character actors, role playing actors. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of a good one. Uh, I had like two, and I just dropped them. Uh, he's the catcher in a perfect game, a movie that doesn't work without him. <laughs> uh, I mean. His work with P.T. Anderson, uh, Magnolia. This comes in. I mean, he's a cop. Cops suck. All cops are bastards. But such a sweetheart <laughs> in that movie too. Uh, yeah. and then so we didn't even film. really talk about like this the the connecting theme at all for either of the movies. So we could do that <laughs> really quickly. I will just say they both did a very good job of making idiosyncratic films, even though they are working outside their language for the first time. And the reason we keep saying this is that uh, the truth is mostly in French. It's mostly in French. It's not yeah, it's really in English movie. at all. Um, and I would say they're, 
I still maintain that the the truth is sort of working in this realm of like 2005 to present French dramas for adults. There's a bunch of them, uh, and I think it's 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 working in that field. I think this Yorgos movie is like completely its own thing. It's extremely Yorgos. Um, they both obviously have like huge movie stars in the movie for the first time. They both got like pretty big like advertising pushes, and you know obviously the the lobster got like a reasonably wide like art house release and. Uh, the truth is on Amazon, which is the current version of that, you know? Well, with Kareda, uh, I don't, he's going to go back to making Japanese language shows. He's going to, uh, I don't know, maybe he'll make one or two English things, but uh, I don't know. I, I just think he's wired as a director to keep making the same film over and over again and explore these uh, tiny, tiny moments within relationships. Uh, so I don't think it's going to affect him too much other than that, like, oh, cool, he is branching out with uh, other languages every so often. Like I read for this uh, film, he just used a French interpreter the entire time. Uh, but with uh, Yorgos, uh, as we've seen, like he made a, another English language film after this. Uh, and I think he'll probably still work in here because he has rabid fan base right now. He got super like Lobster and The Favorite, uh, which won Oscars. Uh, I would say he's probably within A24, like the, they give him free range. He's, He's making them look super cool, which A24 is great. We love A24. But I yeah, I mean, it there's is... way more to tell, like, for uh, Yorgos going into uh, being a director, an international director. In I mean, I think America. he's an extremely talented, a truly original artist. And I, I am always surprised by what he wants to do. And I, I there's just a way that I, I understand what he's doing. And, and not that I'm a genius. I'm just saying that I feel, like, connected to it in this way that I find very interesting and it makes it a lot of fun to, to watch his movies. It is a, he's, uh, I'm always excited to see this one. And even watching uh, Lobster, this is probably my fourth or fifth time seeing this movie. I was like, you still get 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 little charges from it. It's great. Uh, it's great. Yeah, I mean, Catherine was within the first like 10 minutes. She We were just watching it while we were eating lunch today. And she was like, oh, I forgot how good this movie is. Like it is, it's just so good. And it's so good right from the start. It's like compelling and strange and, and, and funny as well. Oh so my God. Made, it's so beautiful yeah. to look at. Um, so Caleb, let's say you had to pick one of these movies or you had to do the red intercourse with someone. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, like I said, Craig is one of my all time favorite directors. Uh, but I also said, this is not even in his top five. Uh, I'm going to need a maybe top 10 for him. He only has maybe like 14 movies. <laughs> uh, he probably, so it's probably in the top 10. But, you know, that's just me ranking things. Uh, but this lobster is such a singular piece of work that I have to pick it. Uh, if I would put the lobster in Kareda's Ovir, it would probably make the top five. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that makes no sense. So, uh, But I am picking the lobster. Yeah, I mean, it's close. Like, I, I do, as much as I've kind of been making fun of uh, the truth, like... I did think it was a great movie, and I th I thought it was like a rare thing, which is it was it was pleasant to watch. And the ways like a lot of good films are not pleasant to watch, even though it's like features a lot of nastiness emotionally between the characters. You know, it was almost like uh, "Call Me by Your Name," in that it was just kind of like a bunch of you know, creative driven people hanging out around like a palatial European estate and talking about what it means to be alive, you know, and that is something I enjoy, but at the same time, like I, I found it a little meandering and I, I, I was mystified by the choice to make it a movie exclusively about the problems of rich people. 
and not just rich people, but like famous rich famous people. Rich. And, and you know, I, I'm petty and jealous. I accept that. Um, the lobster, I, contrary, I almost feel the opposite way about, it. I find it difficult to watch. And indeed I, I actually fast forwarded through parts of it today when I was watching oh. it. <gasps> I know, I know. I look, I know what happens. I've seen it many times and I was watching it on the fast forward. Um, but it, because it's it's hard to it's hard to watch, but it's also like so brilliant and strange. Like like if you haven't if you haven't seen either movie, you should definitely see the lobster. Like definitely definitely watch the lobster. Um, if you've already seen the lobster and you haven't seen the truth, uh, I, I feel like it's worth checking out. But as far as the abs- actually best choice, I also have to say the lobster. Yeah. Uh, if you want to watch another creative film, uh, start with Shoplifters. It's easy to digest but still walking is that fucking masterpiece of a movie it's on criterion uh i think that's one of the best movies ever made uh absolutely wow really yeah still walking. i have not seen that should i watch that oh 100 percent. that's one of the greatest movies that's uh that and nobody knows i would say are his two best films cool all right dog that's it man that's the whole show all right you made it to the all the way to the fucking end man good job <laughs> not just you yeah i mean the, the listener the listener the listener or listeners as there are more than one of you out there we are assured of this yeah, but the thing is one of the things with podcasts is like it's a personal connection with the host of the as far as I'm concerned As far as I'm concerned, you're the only listener. You. (laughs) 